Good to be back with you this morning. May the Lord assist. Uh, And uh, let us open the Bible to the book of Revelation in chapter 13. like to begin uh, by just quoting a a verse from this chapter and uh, the end of verse 7. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This will be our subject uh, this morning and uh, in an expanded form proceeding on uh, the theme that we have been considering in uh, previous uh, meetings that we had. It is good when uh, thinking of any subject or of any book or any matter to have at least a broad outline of how things go and how they uh, how they proceed. We put a lot of emphasis in our meetings about the historical character of the Bible. Um, the Bible is not only about uh, it's not about abstract truth. Uh, if anything, it's about real truth. Um, but it, it does speak of truth in re- always in relation to history, to, to reality, to h- how we are, where we are, how we live as individuals, also as nations, and throughout history as nations. Um, you have, like me, studied history in school, elementary, and uh, and on. Um, but I bet you, you never, through those years, unless you were a Christian, could never understand the rhymes or reasons of all of this. What does this all mean? Uh, we studied the the eras, and we studied the the kings and we studied the wars and the succession of all of this history the empires and the civilizations but but what is uh, is there a purpose is there a design or is this just happens randomly uh, well the world does not have cannot have the key to to understand how this is proceeding. Only this old book, the Bible, gives it to us. And that's why, as we count our blessings, one of our greatest blessings is the privilege that is given to us, uh, men of simplicity, 
Uh, we may not be the cleverest. Uh, we don't care to be. Uh, we want to be as simple and as genuine as possible. And yet, in our simplicity, and perhaps a little knowledge, if we know the book, uh, we know the most important book there is to know. Because it really gives us a way to understand. And <clears throat> the Bible itself is not written in the highest of language. It's written in the language of the people. Uh, the, the Greek that is used in the New Testament, for example, is what they call the Koine Greek. It's the Greek of the people, of the common folks. Uh, probably in our translations, more space should be given to this aspect. It's not to be a, a high English, but a uh, because it was a simple Greek that was used. Uh, so much so that you know it was not only until the middle of the 1800s that this feature of the Greek language was really understood. Um, and out of this uh, book, old book, ancient book, written in common language, comes the, the only truth that can really, and the only wisdom that can give us to understand what is happening. Uh, and what have we seen? We have seen that from the very first uh, hi human history has been about, or mankind, or humankind, has been about uh, saying this, no to God, yes to us. And the civilizations that have been built through history have really been about this, erasing God out of the picture, removing God out of the picture, and placing man in his place. We have noticed that there's been someone behind all this that has worked with a very definite purpose, and that purpose we will uh, see this morning, Lord willing, I trust with a good measure of clarity. Um, but astonishingly, astonishingly, the Bible ends with this statement that the design that uh, Satan has pursued through the centuries to establish a global system of government uh, practically under some man's rule but ultimately under his own rule and for his own glory will be accomplished. The Bible has a beginning and the Bible has an end. And it's, that's already a feature that is quite marvelous. <laughs> the Bible begins with, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But you know, uh, even if we just move just a little bit forward in our scriptures this morning, in, uh, at, in Revelation 21, then it says, Now I saw a new heaven, and the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth 
have passed away. So you see, now the Bible is a book, uh, a collection of books written in about um, 1,500 years from Genesis to the book of Revelation. But the book of Revelation is not there by chance. (laughs) Just like Genesis is not there by chance. Genesis means origin. So the first book of the Bible is about the origin of all things. And the last book of the Bible is about the end. So we have this, you know, a, a beginning and an end. And in the middle you have the body of the whole revelation of God from A to Z, from Alpha to Omega, to the be- from the beginning to the end. Which means something very important as far as we are concerned. That God has given us a word that encompasses that has a universal scope. Not only geographically, but also historically. It, it does encompass the, the heaven and the earth. Uh, geographically, in its scheme of things. But also the history of the heavens and the earth. <laughs> This is just what we read from the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the beginning of their history. (laughs) The whole universe. And then it ends talking about the reconstitution of a new heaven and a new earth. So the Bible has a universal scope. Not only because it geographically encompasses the whole universe, but historically tells the story... (laughs) Of the heavens and the earth. That is of the all creation. We are part of this. I believe. We are a special part of this. God made us so. And. Which tells me. That God wants me to understand. Now some people may be more practical. Some more intellectual. uh, Some more extrovert. Some more introvert. We are all made differently. But one thing is true is that when we come to the scripture, we need to activate our mind. <laughs> this is not a book to, to fall asleep you know, before. This is a book that requires uh, the utmost attention so that when the Lord says, Love your God with all your mind, your soul, your strength. See, the whole of the human being is supposed to be poured into the revelation of God so that it will reflect on all that we are, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we live. Uh, So what a tremendous book is the Bible. But the very fact that God gave us a revelation that begins with point A and ends with Z is so important, is so telling of who He is. It's like he's saying, I want to explain it to you, and I want to explain it to you fully. So I want you to begin. I want you to think, and I want you to understand. So religion is bad religion when it's about superstition. When services are filled with screams and hollers. You know, this is not what we are about. This We are about to drink from this fountain And to conscientiously uh, consider, reflect, learn, absorb. So that our mind, our conscience, and our life may be taught 
how to be and how to live. Uh, so, um, back in Revelation chapter 13, so the message is clear, uh, and it really ultimately makes perfect sense. What is the end of the world going to be like? Well, the Bible says, really, it's just going to be an accomplishment, at least to a certain point, an accomplishment of what mankind has been trying to do all along. You see the continuation? It's not just like something completely different from what this thing has been about. History has been about, human history has been about humanity trying to conquer everything for its own glory under the guidance of the evil one. This is sadly true, but this is exactly the picture that we have. Uh, the Bible so much speaks about uh, the world being so sadly uh, embraced and lulled by the devil in his arms in the hands of the wicked one, First John. And think of Ephesians uh, chapter 2, uh, how uh, we were once dead in trespasses and sins as we follow the world, as the world followed Satan, and, and we were all children of wrath as we pursued our uh, desires and lusts. And uh, that's the picture that... that uh, the Bible gives us, and <clears throat> uh, since we're speaking of Ephesians, I will read you from chapter 6 and verse 10 uh, of Ephesians. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power, and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand the vows of the devil, for we do not wrestle. Now, that's a very important scripture. Ephesians 6, verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, what Paul is saying is there is a hierarchy, not only in our political structure, <laughs> But there is a hierarchy also in the satanic hosts or armies, if we want to call them like that. Um, and this, this army, this, this influences, this evil influences operate everywhere. So much so that Paul calls us the rulers of the darkness of this age. And we have talked about what the earth will be like, what the world will be like, if this rulers of darkness will have complete rule, complete sway. And we have had uh, a few uh, <laughs> uh, opportunities in history, actually quite constant, but especially over the last 100 years, to see to what level of degradation, of violence, of, of inhumanity, of you know devilish crimes, humanity can be reduced to if these powers take a hold of everything. Uh, well, the Bible says that 
ultimately, in the end, they will succeed. They will succeed. And so let us go to, again, return to Revelation chapter 13 and follow uh, this, uh, what the text says here. And I would, I'm just going to up front tell you that we were going to divide this, uh, our sermon in two parts. One is on, uh, will be about Revelation chapter 13 and the second in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, we do this purposely because the book of Revelation is a symbolical book. It's an allegorical book. And that means that it's very difficult to interpret. And uh, a lot of people throughout history, but especially in recent years, have, uh, have made a sport out of eschatology. You know, every day they come out with a new book about the Antichrist and the end times and they sold millions of copies and they become rich over this. And we, we have no liking for that kind of thing. Uh, this is a serious message. But it should be interpreted very carefully. And um, see, from the very beginning, even, you know, people that have identified the Antichrist with uh, the Caesars and then with the Napoleon and then with Hitler and then with Mussolini. And no, he's that. No, it's this. No. Uh, the history of the commentaries about the book of Revelation are a warning of how many false interpretations we can fall into if we go beyond the limits of our actual knowledge. Uh, the, the Bible actually is a book that has been given not to understand altogether. The Bible was never meant to be understood altogether in one generation. In fact, it can never be understood altogether until the end. It, it is only as history unfolds that as we think of, we read the scriptures in the light of history, and we think of history in the light of the scripture, this book continues to open up and open up and open up to our understanding. So that any, any interpretation that does not you know, per se contemplate and Take, take in consideration its limits. The limit of our present understanding is bound to go wrong. And is bound to give false interpretations. So we need to guard ourselves from um, expecting or pretending to be able to interpret all the details of this book. I am perfectly convinced <laughs> that this book will not be totally understood Till the end. Only the last generation will be able to read this and say, oh, Look, we are seeing actually what has been written. Uh, I believe that we are able to understand something. And as, and as long as we maintain ourselves generic enough and, and at the same time specific enough to where we can at least grab and understand the main features of this chapter then we're on safe ground. On safe ground. But another safety is to interpret Revelation in the light of what we will call the didactical books of the Bible. That means the uh, apostolic letters, the Gospels, and large parts of the Old Testament. The books that are not allegorical. 
the books that are not symbolical. They tell us very clearly how the end is going to be. So if we keep in mind 1 Corinthians 15, for example, if we keep in mind 2 Peter chapter 3, if we keep in mind 2 Thessalonians, Matthew chapter 24, these are all, these and many others are scriptures that they tell us clearly, without using symbolical language, how the end is going to be. So we should, in a way, uh, first study these, have a clear outline, a basic outline of how, what the Bible says concerning history. Uh, for example, you are aware, in Second Peter chapter 3, he speaks of the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness will dwell. Now, Peter speaks directly, clearly, didactically, about these matters. So, when you have a understand, understood those, then you can go to the symbolical book and have a guideline by which to interpret the symbols and the allegories as much as we can do at this point in our history. So, <clears throat> but we will do the opposite actually today. We will look at this first, the symbolical description of the end that John is given by the revelation of God and then then we look at some specific points taught by Paul in second Thessalonians chapter 2 now just another brief preliminary about this um, that is in many ways uh, unbelievers have long laughed about the book of Revelation saying that what the book of Revelation essentially taught could not come to fulfillment because, you know, technologically it was not possible. For example, if you go towards the end of the book, verse 16, uh, when it says, uh, and he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand, or on their foreheads, to what purpose? Well, that no one may be by or sell except one who has the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. See, that was taken as a fable. Uh, uh, just from a you know, technological standpoint. But you know, today we know that it is possible and they've already been active about this, to develop a system of personal identification to where they know who you are, where you are, how to track you down if they need to. So, and this overall system, economical and financial system, this is what it's talking about, so that you can be excluded from the, the, you know, the buying and the selling unless you, are, you become part you adhere to the system. So, what just a few years ago looked like impossible to develop such a system of control worldwide, financial and economical, now looks very, very doable. In fact, they're already accomplishing it. Of course, you needed the satellites to be able to do this. You know, without satellites, you can't not do it. Uh, who could have known? that men would have had the capabilities to impose a financial economical system that can actually control every human being in this earth. 
Well, the Bible somehow anticipated it. This is exactly what's going to take place. And so, uh, um, and so, we, we as we talked about these days, uh, we live in the final stages of our modern civilization that has been really long dead. <laughs> it's, produ- it's producing nothing but rotten things. And we're actually at the beginning, therefore, of another civilization. Will this be the ultimate civilization? Well, we do not know that. We need to understand our limits. We cannot set any dates. <laughs> no, we have an explicit commandment not to do so in Scripture. But we need to be thinking as Christians that this is actually where the world is going. And actually, this is what they are wanting to do now, very, very much explicitly. <laughs> I mean, the, the one world government, this globalization of, of the whole humanity, all of this international interconnection to where uh, supranational powers uh, are, are taking hold of control, are taking control. So that people feel like their national sovereignty is being violated. Why is this so much talking about the loss of uh, sovereignty, of national sovereignty? Because this is what's been happening. The national sovereignty of nations has been violated, oh, especially over the last 20 years, to where it seems like uh, our own central government uh, are no longer responsible. They have given their responsibility or they have submitted their responsibility or their authority to higher forms of powers. And this is what, uh, this is a very important you know, subject to talk about. <clears throat> but why is it so popular? Why is it so contemporary? Because this is what's been taking place. We feel it in Italy. Uh, we, we have in Italy strong parties that are reacting against this uh, globalism and reaffirming the right to, that every nation has a right, has a sovereign right to, you know, to govern itself as the central government irresponsible to the people, what we call democracy. <laughs> uh, strangely, the people that talk uh, about democracy all the time, they seem to be the first ones who violate it and do not respect it. And, um, of course, in recent years, we already talked about the, the dissolution of the Soviet Union and what that opened up to. They opened up to the possibility to establish a world order a world system. <clears throat> and so, beginning with, uh, we, uh, that's already what they were speaking in these terms during the first Bush era. And then, of course, the Clinton he- era was very important because the Clintons were very much involved in the building up of this new world or- order, especially in the economical uh, part, it seems. Um, but <clears throat> let us let us think about one thing. You know, is that 
Back in those days, they were talking about deregulating the deregulation of the economical system that had thus far uh, been implemented uh, in the world. So the lifting up of all tariffs, you know, uh, deregulation, complete deregulation, free commerce, free enterprise. It makes you think that this deregulation has taken place only in the global scale, in the international commerce, but not in the national states. This is a system that wants to build, wants to over-regulate the life of the um, single nations so that we feel oppressed by all these regulation, state regulations that seem to strangle us and take away the freedom to simply be able to to live <laughs> and move and do an honest life. But the strange thing is that if they overly regulate the inner Na- the, the national life, they deregulate it <laughs> completely. What takes place on a global level in the international commerce. Why? Because the system is not geared to benefit the common folks, the people that live in the nations, but only the great corporations that are able to trade internationally. So at that level is... Deregulation. No, no problems. Everything is possible. Everything is free. But inside the nations, they control the people by overregulating their life. And that's done on purpose. In other words, why are certain people so much opposed to deregulate the life of the inner nations? And these very ones are so much in favor of a complete deregulations or the tariffing of the trade, of the international trade. That's quite a contradiction, isn't it? Well, it seems to me like what they are wanting to do, and this will be just a little, I hope, a little uh, you know, parenthesis here, what they wanted to do, uh, ultimately, is a very much a Chinese type of system which is communistic or socialistic when it comes to the common folks, and is ultra-capitalistic when it comes to the top ones, those who rule the world, the great corporations. So it's both capitalistic and socialistic. It's socialistic for the masses below, where you have to accept a minimum wage to live by, you know, so that everybody can be happy, just like... uh, like in Italy, you know, the common, that's what they're doing. Uh, that's already they have been doing. There is a common um, you know, salary that is given just because you're a citizen. If you can't find work, the government will give you and has been giving monthly checks to uh, all folks that can't find a job. The state looks for a job for you. It gives you three offers. You're free to accept it, not to accept it. But these three offers can be sent to you in years of time, so that for years you can live off the state from this monthly check that comes from the state. We would say it's not 
in the authority of the state to seek a job for me, to find a job for me, to provide a job for me. What the state needs to do is to, to uh, enact laws that will allow a good system, <laughs> a good economical, a fair, good, uh, right, righteous system of, um, that will allow you know, people to grow and develop and serve in the community. Um, the, to me, the ultimate proof of that the things are so is just a very simple fact that just like I've been doing since I've been here, when I go to stores, I, I often check where it was made, where the item was made. And you know, 90% of the time it's made in China. Now, why is that? You know, that means death. That is like death. It means that the mass of the mass of what is being produced in America, uh, even by American brands, their 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 factories, their manufacturing um, um, industries have been relocated outside of the states because the. The private American men that own these corporations find a lot of financial advantage in doing so. You know, when China was accepted in the World uh, Trade um, Organization uh, in 2001, the average salary of a Chinese man was a dollar an hour. A dollar an hour. Eight dollars a day. That was the average. Now everybody would know, even a child would know, that if you open up, if you accept China in in the World uh, Trade Organization with those kind of parameters, it will upset the whole system. In the sense that obviously those that are able to remove their factory to, to China to produce their goods will do it. And then they will ship them back to America because that's where the money is to buy it. But in the process, you will destroy um, American manufacturing life. And you will enhance the Chinese. So, this of course, you, you would say, why would they do that? Why the men that own these great corporations all try capitalist uh, what I would call egotistic capitalism. Uh, why would they do that? Don't they love their country? Why would they uh, f- f- fall for a system or be pro a, a system that is so much geared to the destruction of the national economy? Well, because they don't, don't care about the interest of the common folks. They don't look at their own. And if you look at the very top you know, you know, statistics at this point tell us that uh, the first, practically the first 40 uh, top richest men in the world, most of whom are Americans, uh, own half, own as much as half of the um, you know, prosperity, uh, wealth, uh, of the rest of the world. Half of the inhabitants of the world uh, share as much between them. We're talking about three 
and a half billion people, as much as 40 men, 40 of the top ones own just them. Now that is a devilish system. That's ultra-capitalism. And yet these very ones are all for socialistic systems nationally. That's interesting, isn't it? In my estimation, there was never, there was never a system that was, from an economical standpoint, so wicked as what has been implemented today. And so when you talk about, that's why we, we commanded prayers for your president. Uh, not because he's faultless. You know, we need to pray for him, especially from, from a spiritual standpoint. But because the position that he's taken in his policies are quite against the system. And you talk about having against you the greatest powers that are ruling this world today on a human level. Uh, we have not seen a man that was given by God the courage to do that. It takes a lot of courage. And yet, this is what's been happening. And we can read this as a, as, a, as a manna from heaven in some way, of a God who is still restraining this thing to, to take in full force, full form on the earth. But Trump can fall, Trump can lose, Trump can change, and Trump will ultimately disappear. So where are we headed? What makes me tremble, of course, is that at times I read uh, this ultra-Trump <laughs> you know, party, uh, or you know, Trump is our savior, Trump is, our, is the new Jesus, and I'm hearing a lot of that. And... Uh, that's exactly what can determine the fall of Trump because God is jealous of his glory. And if we exaggerate in attributing honor where honor is due, if we go beyond that, then we'll have judgment for sure. Um, but anyway, this is where we're headed. And, uh, but let us now turn our eyes to Revelation in chapter 13, as we said. And let us... Uh, slowly but surely, read and interpret and, and try to understand. Uh, <clears throat> then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a Leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. What does this mean? Well, again I say, we cannot be too specific. We cannot name personal names. You know, this is Napoleon, this is you know, this is Clinton, or this is <laughs> we we can't do that. Uh but we can, if we're careful, just try to understand at least the generic concepts. And the generic concepts, scripturally interpreted and understood, if, is that what we're having here is the rise of a new, uh, we would say, uh, empire. If we want to use the older terms that the Bible uses. <clears throat> and we, we do that because, especially... 
in uh, in verse two when it describes it as uh, like a beast, like a leopard, uh, was like a leopard. His feet were like uh, the bear and the lion, and and these are uh, like symbolical um, elements that we can again find even in the book of Daniel, for example. When uh, we know, because God gave them the interpretation, by such figures, these composite figures, you are to understand empires. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Grecians. I mean, the book of Daniel, God in the book of Daniel, tells us this is how we are to interpret these beasts. And so, also Daniel saw beasts. And God showed him how to interpret them. And therefore we can interpret them the same way. At least generically, these are new empires, new system of governments that will have a, an imperial outlook and uh, you know, perspective. And uh, something else we can derive from this is that this is a composite. It's a, it's a composite uh, authority or power or empire. It's, we're not talking here about a person because it speaks about seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns and so forth. We understand that there is this is made of a of multiple elements and authorities that be, are joined together to to create uh, a system that will rule the earth. Um, we can think of the G7 or the G10 or the G20, but uh, it seems like the the, the, the one world government uh, will be uh, supported by uh, you know multiple authorities of the earth, big men, big names, and they will join you know together to form this beast and. Uh, the other element towards the end of verse 2 is very important. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. Uh, so the dragon, according to chapter thirteen, of, uh, chapter 12 of Revelation, is Satan. So what we're talking about is a composite uh, system of government, worldwide government. That is, why is worldwide? Because it's composite and it's, a, it's made by a joint um, contribution of different men of power, perhaps heads of states, or big names at the economical sphere. We, we may not be sure still, but this is what a, this beast is looking like through the foggy interpretation that we can give at this point. And yet, it's... Uh, its features can be ever clearer understand, understood as, as time goes by. Um, so, <clears throat> this is very, uh, very instructive. Its power, its dominion, and its authority are derived from Satan. It reminds us of Matthew 4. When Satan tells the Lord, see these kingdoms and authorities, I will give it to you if you worship me. Well, that's exactly what Satan does here. 
He grants this uh, power, this the throne that is dominion and authority in return for what? Well, <laughs> you know, Satan does not do that towards this new system of government uh, per se. He doesn't do it out of love. <laughs> he do it for himself. What does Satan get in return? Well, we will see it in just a moment. Um, but ultimately, this system of government is a tool in the hands of Satan. It's a tool by which Satan will accomplish its, its, uh, his final end. A total control over all humanity for his own glory. In fact, look at verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 3 and 4. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. And his deadly wound was, was, helped, well, was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So because of satanic intervention, one of these heads was, was wounded. Economically, financially, we don't, not sure. But through the intervention of the system, the satanic structured system, this, this single element, the single element of the composite uh, um, uh, you know, system was uh, healed. Uh, so because of this great accomplishment, this may be, I don't want to be too you know, sp specific, but it may be a case like, uh, like Greece, for example, uh, a nation that was about to crumble together and to, um, to you know, destroy itself, um, to implode, was somehow succored by the European um, uh, nations and, and helped to rise again to the extent in which it did. But it may be such a, an economical resurrection or economical healing that takes place uh, that has the effect of enhancing the credibility of the system. Oh, this is a system that works. If we work all together, when one nation goes down, all the others can come to its rescue and resurrect it financially, economically, materialistically. So, uh, this, this healing uh, um, works in a way as to enhance the credibility, the credit, the credibility, uh, the feasibility of this, the acceptability of this new system. So, verse 4, what's the end of it all? So, they worship the dragon. They worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worship the beast. Um, so this, this reach to accomplish, to realize this overall one world government. He grants the authority to do it, but he's the one who rules. Therefore, ultimately, he gets all the credit. Ultimately, he's the one that is to be worshipped by all. 
worshipped by all humanity. And when he gets that worship by all humanity, as he gets that worship by all of its devils, then he will realize his purpose. And so what we have in the scriptures is this kind of of uh, <laughs> understanding. Well, the Bible says that from God, through God, and to God are all things. To Him be glory forever. Romans eleven thirty six. That everything was created to to so that God may be glorified as the one who created all things, who sustains all things, who gives lives to all things, who rules all things. That's why the universe exists. That's why it was created. But the purpose of Satan is the exact opposite. is to get universal glory for himself. To have every tongue confess His name. And to have every need bowed to His authority and to His rule and to His dominion. There is an an, um, unsashable desire for glory, self-glory in the heart of Satan to, to replace God and to as we said in Ezekiel and Isaiah and so many other scriptures, of course, the beginning, Genesis 1, to be actually the God, the God who gets all the glory from all His creation. And He did not even stop at asking God to worship Him in the person of Christ. As we said last time, he wants to be the God of God, the Lord of the Lord of the Lords. (laughs) He wants to be above everything. This insatiable satanic hunger for self-glory, for vainglory, is unbounded, unlimited. Wants to be universal, wants to be divine, wants to be cosmic. And he will pursue this until he's able to realize what he wants. And this is it. So, <clears throat> I was thinking about, you know, Psalm 96, for example, how, how opposite all of this is to, to the heart of the Bible uh, in Psalm 96. This is what we read. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, all the idols. (laughs) For all the gods of the peoples are what? Idols. Vanities, but the Lord, He made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples, 
Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering. Come to his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Oh, this can never be said of Satan, can it? Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. What would you worship Satan for? For the beauty of his holiness. You can only worship him if you adore evil. If you love evil. If you live for evil. Then you bow before him and you serve him because that's what you're after. But if you're after holiness, purity, love, righteousness, God alone can be worshipped that way. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. I shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. You see, cosmic worship. <laughs> this is what it is. It's cosmic universal worship. Everything is to worship God. Uh, then all the trees uh, of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. Yes, there's a personification of trees and stars and moons and suns so that everything in the whole universe may worship God. Why? For He's coming. Yes, He's coming. For He's coming to judge the earth. He, he shall judge the world with righteousness and all the peoples with His truth. And of course, if you go to, uh, to the last of the Psalms, Psalm 150 we again find this amazing <clears throat> uh, actually we read 148 Psalm 148 uh, it better serves to our purpose because it's just this cosmic universal element is so everywhere in the psalm Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all, ye, all His angels. Praise Him, all ye hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all ye stars of light. Praise Him, you heavens of heavens. And you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Why? For He commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. Now He comes to the earth. And uh, you great sea creatures in all the depths, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling His word, mountains and, and hills and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things, yes, even snakes and flying fowl, kings of the earth. Now it comes to humanity, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young uh, men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise His name of the Lord. Why? For His name alone is exalted. His glory is above all the earth and heaven and He has exalted the horn of His people, the salvation of His people, the praise of all His saints, uh, of the children of Israel, a people near to Him. Praise the Lord. This is, this is the majestic cry of all the Psalms. <laughs> In fact, the last verse of the last Psalm, 
Psalm 150, verse 6, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There's nothing that Satan hates the most than this. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. That's what he longs for. And let me say something scary and yet true. Every time you sense in your heart a desire to receive glory, there's a problem there. That's the seed of the snake. That's the venom of the serpent. Glory is to be ascribed to God, not to us. And that desire for recognition and aggrandizement and praise and celebration um, is part of that venom, is the essence of the venom that Satan injected in the veins of humanity in Genesis 3. And since that time, it's been in our veins. Our veins. What were the great empires of uh, emperors of history want? Glory. Glory. Nebuchadnezzar. I built. I built. I made. I accomplished. When we hear that whisper in our ear from our heart, we need to repent. <laughs> because that's, that's the essence of original sin. Um, that's what Satan would like to have. Psalms written for him. Not to worship the beauty of his holiness, but to worship uh, the wickedness of his evil nature. Can you imagine something like that taking place all over the earth? We have we had certain civilizations that were just that. Uh, some that reached a level of um, moral degradation that can hardly be understood. Um, I follow the archaeology discoveries on a weekly basis. I want to be updated as to what has been discovered because they help us to understand. And recently, not too long ago, a few months ago, they found some more um, skeletons in the um, in Mexico uh, in um, in the Maya, Aztec civilization, uh, actually they find they found a pyramid of heads that had been chopped off people and that a whole to time all together. I mean, a massive structure, thousands of people that have been uh, beheaded as human sacrifices to worship their devils. Can you imagine what that type of worship would have been like? So uh, that kind of religion produces that kind of worship. And that's exactly the type of religion, one world, one world religion, that ultimately would lead to. I know it's not presented that way today, <laughs> because Satan is an angel of light, can appear like an angel of light. Talk about righteousness and equity. <laughs> and, uh, but it always produces in history, it, it has always produced the very opposite of what the picture, the beautiful picture that it presents. So this is what he's after. 
And this actually helps us to understand the book of Job. This is a little, you know, parenthesis here, but I think it's important. What was what was Satan after with Job? Well, he spelled it out when he told the Lord, uh, "Let me get to him and see if he does not curse you." Curse you. This will be the last, you know, element that we will see this morning. But let us read on and then we'll go back to Job and then we'll end. But in Revelation chapter 13, look, uh, verse 4, let us, you know, pick it up from here. So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? was able to make war with him. They don't say who is like the Lord, like Isaiah chapter 40. They say who is like the beast. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Now that's an important word, blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. I will not get into that number. We need to be careful about number, playing with numbers. Let it just be. (laughs) Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. We'll stop here for this morning, but um, this is automatic. I mean, he who is after all the glory of all the universe above God could not but look to God as a rival and hate him as gigantically, as as unboundedly as he hungers for his own glory. So the hunger that he has, the passion with which he pursues the praise of his own person and name is uh, is as great as the passion with which he desires for God to be cursed. Glory to him and cursing to God. Glory to him, cursing to God. He desires them at this, in the same way, with all of its fiber. That's what he desires. And that's why when he tempted, when he talked to God in the book of Job, he said, you know, you've been protecting me all this time. That's why he loves you. That's why he believes in you. But let him, let me uh, be able to cross that barrier <laughs> and allow me to wound him and to tempt him and to hurt him and to take away a lot of his prosperity. See then how he will curse you. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to bring us to curse God, to reject God, to hate God, to say no to God, and to say to the one who lives and is the creator of all things, to say, you do not even exist. That's where it comes from. That's where it comes from. That's what he wants to hear from us. He wants us to worship him, to bow down before him, and to desire what he can give. The pleasure of evil. The pleasure in every form, in any form. That's another signal of original sin. The pleasure that we can derive from evil. The sensual pleasure. 
That's part of the rule of Satan. That's part of that kingdom. That's what he wants to offer you. And a lot of people have sold their very soul to him just to obtain as much sensual pleasure as possible. And they ended up, of course, destroying themselves. You know. Um, But that's what he's after with us as well. The fact that we are Christians does not mean that he has given up wanting to, to, you know, seeking to realize that in our very selves. That's why he tempts us. That's why sometimes God allows him to get to our property or to hurt us or to even sometimes hurt our children. That we, that, 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 Evil that has taken place may generate within us evil against God. (laughs) So that we will curse him, question him, attack him, blaspheme him. Um, So when Job's wife said, (laughs) away with your God, just curse him. She was doing exactly what Satan wanted her to do. There was another temptation uh, with, you know, with Job. But Job, I tell you what, he would rather get, lose his mind rather than um, give up his trust in the Lord. He couldn't understand it. He wrestled with it. He fell into that crisis in chapter 3, devastating crisis that is described all through that marvelous book. And yet he said, I don't understand. Yet, you know, there must be an answer in God. There is an answer. There must be a purpose. There must be a purpose. Um, Well, it seems like the Bible has given us enough food for this morning, I trust. And uh, Lord willing, we'll pick it up uh, later on this evening. Lord willing. Uh, But let us reflect, not only on the great scheme of things internationally and where all this is headed and how this is going to come about. But, uh, you know, personally, uh, the difference of these two kingdoms. <laughs> and uh, Satan is called the God of this world by Paul. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. The God of this world has blinded their minds, their eyes, so that they may not see the glory of the gospel. Um, and Paul rightly called himself because this is what he would like to do and that's somewhat the role that he's been playing uh, with all whom who has been uh, has wanted to serve him. I have wanted to serve him. But let us let us humble ourselves. Let us know that we are sinners even this morning. Even if we are Christians that um Sadly but true, uh, that venom still runs in our veins. Those sorts of desires may still be there. Those sorts of temptations may still be there. Sometimes things pop in your head. You say, what in the world? You know, I've not been thinking of this, not been looking for this. And why does it come up? Even if I have not stirred it up, because uh, sin is in us. And it will work even in spite of you to send you signals, signals. Hey, look at this, how good it is. Why don't you do this? Why don't you pursue this? 
So how careful we must be. How careful we must be. And for all those who are not Christians, perhaps in this room, you know, as always the gate is open. The Bible is so clear. And the beauty of the Lord is so evident. And the freedom of His grace, uh, or gratuity, as they used to call it, the freedom, the freeness of His grace is just for all to embrace. All that would want to embrace are most certainly welcomed to do so. And all those that will embrace the Lord in the revelation of His gospel and the forgiveness of His grace uh, will be saved. Amen.